Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, I'm Denise Rastari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. I invite you into my apartment to tap into conversations I'm having with successful women who are sharing their, wow, you need to know these stories, the stories that propelled their careers. We'll have a new episode every other Tuesday. Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. Picture this, you're 17 years old and you click on a link to a video titled, the world's ugliest woman. And you see a video about you. And to make it even worse, I know that seems almost impossible, but it is possible. That video has over 4 million views. And the first comment you see is one that tells you to please do the world a favor, go get a gun, put it to your head and just kill yourself. Well, that's what happened to Lizzie Velasquez, our guest today. Lizzie was born with a rare syndrome that prevents her from gaining weight. She's now 27 years old, and she's never weighed more than 64 pounds. Lizzie was crushed by that video. But, and it's a huge but, she found the courage to take what could have been the worst day of her life, and she turned it around to make it the best day of her life. Because of that video, Lizzie became an anti-bullying activist and a motivational speaker, and she has touched millions and millions of people. Her TEDx talk alone has reached over 10 million people. Today, she's joining us to share her stories about courage and confidence and flashlights, including a mentoring moment she has never shared before. Lizzie, I am so excited that we're doing this podcast. I can't even tell you how excited I am. I think you know, because I've been bugging you constantly. We can do this podcast. We can do this podcast. When I met you, you not only were, or are you a wonderful inspiration, you're just funny. You crack me up. You've got the best sense of humor. Thank you. You're welcome. You really do. And I'm so happy today to share your story with everyone, because it's really a story that everyone needs to know. If you have so much courage and so much confidence, and I want them to know your story, and I also want to help you accomplish your mission, which is a fabulous mission, which is to get your story into the universe so that you can leave the internet and the world in a better place than where you first found it. So I just jump in. Let's tell your story. Will you tell your story? Share it so we can start in the beginning of who, who is Lizzie? Oh, man. I feel like every day, if someone asks me that question, I feel like my answer changes every single day because my life has been so full of so many different random yet amazing surprises. Um, But I was born and raised in Austin, Texas, and I was my parents' firstborn. I now have two brothers, one brother and one sister. And when I was born, uh, it was actually kind of a miracle that I was alive. I I was born early. I want to say like maybe four weeks early. I could be wrong on the exact amount, but the doctors realized that I had stopped growing. And so my mom had to have an emergency C-section 
And when I was born, there was no amniotic fluid around me. So it was literally a miracle that I was still alive. I came out two pounds, 10 ounces. So extremely tiny. But my mom said I came out screaming with loud lungs, which does not surprise me now. But the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. Basically, they actually didn't show me to my mom. After I was born, they took a Polaroid picture and showed it to my mom. And she pushed the picture away and said, bring her in right now. I want to see my daughter. And from that moment, both she and my dad just took me home and they raised me to their best of their ability and did whatever they knew to do, which was to take me home and love me and support me. And from that time, they started an incredible foundation for me to grow on. And I had to deal with a lot of bullying when I started elementary school. Uh, at the time, we still didn't know why I was so small and why nothing was really working to help me gain weight. So even though I was tiny, I was still pretty healthy. So I was going to school and doing all of those normal kid things. And the not so normal stuff started happening when all of the other kids were afraid of me and didn't want to hang around with me, didn't know how to react to me. And that was my first big sort of reality check because everyone up until that point was just so supportive and just treated me like Lizzie. That ended up being the pattern throughout the next few years of my life. Uh, the more that I, the more I became aware of the situation, the more I was becoming more frustrated because I just wanted to look like everybody else. I knew I was mentally just like everybody else. I knew I wanted to do things just like everybody else, but I physically didn't look like that. And when you're a teenager and you want to fit in, having a syndrome that you have no control over really doesn't mix well when you have the mentality of being, quote, the popular girl. But other than that, I had a very, very, very supportive system around me. My friends and my family were just amazing. And no matter what, never let me feel sorry for myself. They were always my biggest cheerleaders and they still are today. And once I started high school, I found the world's ugliest woman video on accident when I was distracting myself from actually doing homework. And little did I know at the time, I thought that video was going to crush me. And it actually ended up being the biggest and best platform I could have ever asked for. So now as a 27-year-old college graduate, motivational speaker, author, and now activist, my life has definitely been full of surprises. And what's one of the biggest surprises? That people actually know who I am. <laughs> it's so crazy to me that people know my story and they know the people in my life and they're inspired by it and they're able to use it and apply it in their own life. I still see myself as just a girl from Texas who just wanted to make a difference and I never imagined that it would be on the scale that it is today. And Lizzie, like looking at a mentoring moment in your life, in that day that you saw the video, you had a choice to sit there and cry, which I'm sure you did. Mm -hmm. I, I guess that you did. And continue to cry and feel sad and feel why me, or to turn everything around and say, I am going to rise above this. Not only just rise above it, but really rise above it. How did you find that inner strength? Where does it come from? 
I think I'm honestly still going to be finding that strength for the rest of my life. I think it's something that I'll never, ever overcome. I've just learned to really live with it and make the best out of it. But um, when I did find it, I, of course, bawled my eyes out. I think I cried more than I ever had in my life up until that point. And my parents were very, very supportive and very strong, and so were my friends. And it's funny because when I finally did tell my friends at school, because I didn't want to talk about it to anyone after I found it, and when I finally did... It turns out that they had seen the video before I did, and they just never brought it up because they were hoping I would never see it because they knew how much it would hurt me. And so my friends were just trying to protect me from it as long as they could and until the day that I eventually found it. But to be able to have them just with me, around me, supporting me 24-7, they're probably the biggest reason why I was in eventually able to decide that I wanted to learn how to pick myself back up and learn how to stand on my own again. I, I know that your parents, they've been so supportive. Your whole family's been very supportive. And I've seen your dad on a few interviews and your mom as well. And your dad always makes me, brings tears to my eyes. And he's telling <laughs> positive things, but he brings tears to my eyes because what he's saying is so genuine and authentic and just so touching. And, and being a parent, my daughter is now 23, and you look back on the moments in life of your, of your child growing up and knowing that being a parent is definitely a wonderful, well, I don't want to say a job, but it's a wonderful <laughs> place to be in life. Uh, and it has its moments, right? It has its moments. Of, a wonderful you know, role. Yeah, that's right. It's a wonderful role. It's a wonderful part of your life, a huge part of your life. And when you talk about your parents just being that support system for you, were there other people, do you have mentors, were there mentors in your life who were a support system as well? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, this is actually something, a funny story. Well, it's not really funny, but just one of those touching full circle moments. My assistant principal, who was the reason why I actually did my first ever speech in high school, this was about a year and a half after I found I just call it the bad video. After I found the bad video, I was her office aide and we'd been talking and I we just developed a really good relationship to where I could really trust her and talk to her about whatever was going on in my life. And she had asked me to go up in front of 400 ninth graders to tell my story and I told her she was crazy. There's no way I'm going to do that. Why would they care to hear what I have to say? And I ended up doing it. And of course, that was my launching pad to where I am now. But she she was just such a strong person. Like she believed in me so much that day. And I remember she right before I went on stage, she hugged me. And I think she was probably more nervous than I was because they warned me that they're ninth graders and sometimes they'll get distracted or they'll get loud. And they told me they had teachers there to help and to all of our surprise, it was quiet the entire time, luckily. But she was just so instrumental in that time in my life. And again, this happened when I was 17, 18 years old. And now being 27, running into her at a restaurant recently. And it was totally by accident. And I heard her say my name and we just hugged for a long time. And it was one of those moments where you were the one who just knew that I could do this. And now all of these years later, I 
have spoken in front of 10,000 people and I'm going to be traveling more throughout the country and outside of the country to do this job that is my passion. And when you spoke for your TEDx talk, were you scared? No, I wasn't. I I'm jealous. I, I would be like petrified, I think. I would be like... <laughs> I don't really get scared. I don't know what it is. I feel like after I did my first speech and the few after that, I feel like that was me just getting all of my nerves out there. But I wasn't. I actually was more anxious and excited to get up on the TED stage. I normally, as a speaker, you don't really get many opportunities to sit in the audience. And that day I was able to sit in the audience and hear all of the speakers from 8 a.m. until almost four in the afternoon when it was finally my time to go on. And I think I was just so inspired by everybody else in that room that I was just ready to go up there. And did you plan it in advance? Were you well rehearsed? I had it planned for about three weeks. We had an outline I went over it with Alexis Jones, who was the, uh, she helped produce the TED event and is also an executive producer on my documentary. And it was the first time she and I had ever met and got to know each other. It's the first time I met Sarah and we had it all planned out and ready. And I feel like I wanted, I think I wanted to impress Alexis or just, I don't know. I just loved talking with her. So I never really told her that planning really isn't something that I do. So I just kind of went with it for three weeks. And then as I walked up on stage, I sort of just put my arm around her and told her, don't freak out, but I'm going to throw our whole plan away and just speak from my heart. And did she freak out? No, she looked me in the eye and she said, okay, I trust you. You got this. And that was it. And then I just walked up on stage. And you definitely had it. So we when you saw the views, you're now over 10 million views <laughs> on your TEDx talk, were you shocked? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was shocked when it was um, like right before it hit a million. I couldn't believe it. More so because I was just speaking from my heart. And December, I, I usually only do one or two speeches and take the rest of the month off. And so I knew that that TED talk which was the first week of December, was my last one for that year. So I just gave it my all and I went home and put pajamas on and ordered Chinese food and thought that was fun. I enjoyed it. And then to get a million views and it was growing so quickly after that was super surprising. And when you got off stage, this is something I do a lot. So this is one of those personal questions. Whatever I do, when I publish a post on Forbes.com, when I hit the publish button, I try to just say, let it go into the universe and not analyze what I did that was good or bad. When I'm speaking, sometimes I don't listen to the recording if, if it is recorded afterwards. Sometimes I do because I want it to be a learning lesson for me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's like, because I can be very hard on myself. I can tear myself apart and be like, I should have, would have, could have, if only yeah. I would have thought about, <laughs> yeah. do you do that? Uh, not very often. Not very often. I think I get tired of hearing my own voice whenever I watch anything back. And so it's not very often that I'll watch it, but sometimes I will. And it's funny because for this, for my TED talk specifically, uh, after it went viral, there was just so many emotions going through me. It was excitement. It was shock. It was overwhelming. It was so many different things. 
And I remember a few months after I was just having one of those days where I was just upset and needed that inspiration or that reminder of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I will never forget that I I was talking to Sarah on the phone and she just said, have you have you seen this one TED talk? And I didn't know who she was talking about, but she was talking about mine. And she told me to go watch it. And I did. And it was my first time to actually sit down and listen to myself. And I'm so glad that I did because it was the perfect reminder, I guess, that I'm here for a reason. And I have two questions. The first is, what is that reason that you're here? I can think of a million of them. But if you were to, if you did, if you look at your own life and say, I'm, I'm put on this earth to do, what is the answer to that? I feel like a lot of times we need someone to help turn on this little flashlight for us. I feel like sometimes we feel like we're walking around in this dark place and all we're looking for is that door to open or that certain someone or that reminder. And I feel like in a way, my story and the things that I have to say is kind of like turning on that flashlight for somebody. And I know what it was like when my flashlight was turned on and it was one of the best things to ever happen to me. So if I can be that person to turn on that flashlight, to just so show someone that, Hey, I got your back. You're here for a reason, just like I am. And I've gone through things that have not been so great. We've all gone through things that have not been so great, but we're in this universe together, so why not help one another? And I just thought of a marketing idea for you. You may have already thought about it because you're very smart. You could do Lizzie flashlights. Mm, oh, that's a good one. And then you could put like inspirational messages inside. I don't know how you do that with batteries, but somebody else smarter than me can figure that out. Oh, sure. or you know, on iPhones, when you turn the flashlight on, right? you can make like a certain filter for the flashlight that says like, you got this or something. See, I love <laughs> that. I love like taking an idea that's not, that's kind of good. And like, you just built on it and made it really great. <laughs> I love that. But you could have the Lizzie flashlights and we could turn on our lives. We can take it to Shark Tank. Yes. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> okay. Let's do that. And I want to go back a step and talk about Sarah because you've, you've mentioned Sarah's name a few times. Mm -hmm. And Sarah is your producer. I think she has a lot of roles in your life, but she was the producer of your documentary, right? Yes, yes. Sarah directed and produced uh, the first TEDx Austin Women event, which is the one that I spoke at. And she and I didn't really contact each other that much in the process leading up to the TED event. I worked more with Alexis. So Sarah and I didn't really know each other. Even when I met her at rehearsals for the first time, it was a quick hello and things like that. She was super busy. And she was the first person I saw when I walked off the stage after I did my speech. And she was just standing there right by the steps. And she was bawling and grabbed me and we just hugged for so long and I got super emotional and I wasn't even sad I think it was more just because she was so emotional and so touched by it and that was our first real connection in a way and that was it and we didn't speak for we we spoke for a few days after that just catching up and after the TED talk went viral I called her and said can we please get lunch? And we did. 
and we talked for a few hours, just getting to know each other more. And I was at a place in my life where I was looking to do something more. I wanted to do something next, something that I've never done before, besides just speaking and writing. And we sort of left it at that after lunch. A few days later, she called me and said she has a crazy idea and that I had no reason to say yes, because she's never done anything like this before but she felt like she needed to help shine a light more on my story and she wanted to do that through a documentary and I right away said I'm in we just need to get my parents on board and ever since then she's just been such a huge huge part of my life and how did you get your parents on board margaritas and Mexican food. Oh, that food. works. Okay, so as we develop the Lizzie flashlight, let's do margaritas. Let's include margaritas. We have a whole business plan evolving. Oh, we'll find a whole bunch of new stuff with those flashlights after right. we have some margaritas. I'm sure we will. <laughs> um, but we, my family and I are extremely close and my brother and sister as well. And so as a family, we decided before the TED Talk, a few months before, that if I were ever to get an offer to do a documentary or any type of reality show, that we were just going to go ahead and pass on it. Because I've been asked to do those things many times. And more often than not, they really just wanted to exploit me. And so we agreed to just not do it. And after I got Sarah's call, I remember sitting on my parents' bed and I just said, all I'm asking is that you hear her out. I know what we agreed on, but just hear her out. I just feel like she's the person to do this. And so after dinner, we were in the car and my mom and dad both agreed that they had the exact same feeling that I did. And when I decided I wanted to do the movie, I remember telling Sarah, I don't, there was two things. The first thing was I didn't want it to just be about me because I feel like that would be boring. I didn't know how that would happen, but I knew I didn't want it to just be about me. And the second thing was I wanted my family to be a part of it and not just in it because they are the reason why I, I am who I am today. And she was able to do both of those things way better than I could have imagined. I'm getting teary-eyed listening to you. <laughs> so let's talk about the documentary because I've seen it and it is wonderful. It's called Thank A Brave you. Heart. And it made me laugh because you do have a great sense of humor and it made me cry <laughs> and sometimes at the same time. It really is a beautiful story. And you and Sarah and everyone, your parents, everyone on the team should be really, really proud of what of the finished product and what it took to get there. It really is wonderful. So I encourage everyone to watch it. It's called A Brave Heart. It's beautiful. And you'll, your life will be better for it. Thank you so much. It's so funny because a lot of people tell me the exact same thing. They're like, we're watching it and we're crying, but then you'll say something funny and we'll laugh and we don't know why we're crying, but then we'll cry again. <laughs> yeah, you have this wonderful ability that I want to borrow. <laughs> and I'll tell you what that is. It's you've your your story is very intense and it's very touching. And not as not in a victim sense, not in a pity sense, is very touching in just the opposite, in the courage sense, right? That mm -hmm. you listen to your story and it's just so moving that you could find that courage. And when I'm at the point of feeling like that your shoulders get higher up to your ears and can I take any more, then you become funny. And it's that moment of being able to take a breather. And saying, okay, I can readjust, and now I can go back to the intensity of the story. 
That, that's a real talent. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's more of, it's just how I was raised. My dad especially has such a crazy sense of humor. And when you see the documentary, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's actually how he is 24-7. There was no acting on his part at all, because that's how he is. But it's just how I was raised in every situation. My whole family has just had this mentality that no matter what you're going through, you can always find a reason to smile or to laugh. And especially with the things I've had to go through, having that lesson and having that sort of instilled in me, I think that's why I'm able to do that so authentically now because it's the only thing that I know. And I think it's what's keeping me sane through everything. And you're kind of a just fly by the seat of your pants girl, right? I mean, you don't plan a lot, which I think is another thing I want to borrow and I want to learn from is that ability to, you have instincts, you have a great gut instinct and a great gut reaction to things. And a lot of things don't scare you, so you go for them. Have there been times when you've gone for things and you're like, that was a good idea gone bad, but you still found the good in it. You're able to look at it and say, is there something that comes to mind of, I have a lot of those good idea gone bad moments. Like when I look, when I, speaking of being a parent, when my daughter was really little, we would, I would have this whole day planned out. Like we're going to go shopping. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go to the museum. We're going to go to the zoo and she'd be asleep for half of the day. And I'm the one who's, you know, running around exhausted, pushing a stroller. So those would be like my good idea gone bad days. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the only thing that comes to mind is doing things, planning things out like with my friends and we have a whole weekend planned and we're going to do all of these things and it's going to be so fun and we're going to go out to eat and to the movies and lay out by the pool and do all this and that. And we end up just laying around and watching Netflix and eating junk food the whole time, which I guess in a way that still sort of ends up being pretty awesome. But I think it's hard for me to think of one just because I always find find the benefit or the positive, even if the situation isn't that great. And how do you do that? I, I try to do that too. So I don't mean, this, <laughs> but, but how do you do that? I don't know. It's just instinct. I think, I think I always hear that little voice in my head that says there's a reason for everything. And you just sort of have to trust the process and whatever it may be. And even if I don't see the reason for whatever the outcome was right then, I know eventually down the line, that reason is going to be like a giant billboard at some point. And then I'm going to remember, oh yeah, that's why I did that. And it, it usually happens that way. I have a friend who would always say, there are no accidents in life. There are only head-on collisions, <laughs> which I'm never sure what that actually meant, but I really like it. So I repeat it a lot and people repeat it. And I'm not sure any of us know what that means exactly, other than they're just bigger than accidents, that those things just turn out to be bigger than accidents. Oh yeah. I definitely agree with that. And do you have, are there times you think back and if I were to say, give us a mentoring moment, something to share with everyone that's listening that they can learn from? And not, not, your life is a mentoring moment. I think everything we've talked about is a lot to learn from, but is there a story to tell that you haven't told? Oh man, it, I was, I've been thinking about this and it's so hard because I, with this is speaking in the documentary and everything, I feel like everything is just sort of out there, but I think... Overall, in general, I feel like I 
at the end of the day, I can still sit in my bedroom and know that my story is known around the world and know that I've had a movie made about me and all my dreams have been coming true and I've worked really hard from them. But I still sit in my room and I still think I'm just Lizzie. I'm just a girl from Austin who just wants to make a difference. And I don't really see myself as this famous person or this celebrity person. And there are still times where I'll feel sad or I'll feel lonely. And it's kind of that, do I miss my life being private? Do I miss being able to post something on social media and it doesn't turn into this huge thing? And there were times where that really got to me. And especially during, right after we finished filming, there was a a point where my schedule was just nonstop, nonstop. And I was around the same people every day for months. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of stopped. And I started feeling really guilty and started thinking, what am I doing? I feel really lonely. But why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel sad? All of a movie's being made about my life right now. Like, I have no reason. There's so many other things that someone can feel sad about. And that was definitely a really low point in my life and a very unexpected low point in my life. And I really had to lean on my support system and my family. And I had never been more okay with being vulnerable than I had during that time. I thought if anyone saw or knew what I was going through, they would think that I was weak or they would think less of me. And to be able to have not only my parents and Sarah and Jessica and the other incredible woman we work with, but to have the random comments that I would read on Instagram or the tweets from people who would tell me that they're inspired by me and give me that little reminder. And they had no idea how much I needed to hear that. And I'm finally at a point now, and this happened over a year ago, and I'm finally at a point now where I'm able to talk about it, one, without breaking down, and it's still emotional for me to talk about. But I'm more grateful that I had my support system to help me help pick me back up from that. But I feel like now I'm going to be able to take everything, all the emotions and everything I went through that time. And as well as what I used to be able to get back up and to be able to let the sun in again. And I'm excited and I'm ready for this new year to be here to be able to share those things with other people and hopefully help someone who I haven't really been able to connect with before. And that's what we're hoping to do today and on all the other platforms that you're able to be on. And that really is a very touching, it's a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that. And I want to ask if there's something that you can also tell that your support system did that really, that helped you so that whenever we're in that position, which we all we all are at some point, different, different circumstances, right? But we're in that position of just having those, those really low times. So how do we bring ourselves out of it? And as that support system, how do we help others? So are there any little nuggets that you can share of on both sides, your yeah, side and your yeah. support? I think 
Um, one of the things that really, really helped me, and I think this kind of answers for both sides, was just having a text message from a friend who just says, I'm thinking about you today. And that was it. Just little things like that just helped me way more than I could have ever imagined to just know that I'm not alone and to have a friend who will just come over and let me cry or just let me lay with them on my bed and let me vent or laugh or do whatever I needed to do and to just have that one person there. And they necessarily didn't even need to say anything or give me all of this wise advice or anything like that. Because I think oftentimes when we have a friend who's going through something like that, you want to help, but you don't know what to say. And more often than not, you really don't have to say anything. You just have to be there and be present. And I had, I'm very, very blessed to have many different really close friends who were able to do that for me. And without their support, I don't think I would have been able to get through it the way that I did. Friends, and I tell this to a lot of young women that are spending a lot of time with their boyfriends, and I speak with a lot of experience. I'm in my 60s, so I do have a lot of experiences that as, as important as men are or partners are in our lives, it's your girlfriends, not the people that you're romantically involved with, but your girlfriends who are always there for you, that you can always count on and they can always count on you. And those relationships are just so priceless when you have that, that friend or those friends that are that close to you. I, I, you're very fortunate. And I'm, I'm sure they're very fortunate. You're their friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I cherish them so much. And one of the hardest things for me was I... I have I have really a really amazing group of girlfriends and what was hard is while I was filming the documentary I was gone a lot and when I was home I was either catching up on sleep or working on other things and so I was getting all of those invites to go do things and I could never go and so those inv invites eventually stopped coming which I totally understood but the second I reached out to them or the second they they my friends know me so well and they know if something is wrong that they were they were by my side in a heartbeat without question and when they came over it was like time had never passed and they've been that way i have one of my very best best friends in the whole world my mom started babysitting her when she was 6 weeks old and we've grown up together and to be able to have her by my side and she they've a lot of my really close friends have been supporting me since before people have known who I am. And I think what's so special to me is that I can meet these really awesome people and really cool celebrities and do all these fun things, which is great. But to them, when I'm around them, I'm just Lizzie and that's it. And to be able to have the balance between my public life and my personal life, that has been difficult yet amazing at the same time. And what's been the most difficult part of it? The most difficult part right now, I feel like this is the most recent thing that I've sort of been going back and forth with is just figuring out how how much is too much in the sense of social media now. My following has grown so much and I'm so grateful because that's how I'm able to connect with my internet friends. But at the same time, social media isn't, I can't just post a certain 
picture and it's nothing. Now it's sort of like a game plan of when I'm going to post this and do all these other things, which in the grand scheme of things sounds super silly, but also encountering people who I'm just getting to know, male or female, friends, whatever it may be. And I have to be careful and guard my heart a little bit more because people do know who I am. And unfortunately, there are some people who might not have the best intentions. And I am more of a person who, if you say hi to me, I already want to be your friend. So to be able to keep an eye on those things and just be aware of them and look for those authentic people, I think that's been, I don't want to say a struggle, but it's something that I've been dealing with recently. I'm with you on that. I do the same thing. I, I will go into a relationship trusting that person because I, I think that they're thinking like I am because I wouldn't do anything to intentionally hurt a human being. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't think, so I go into relationships thinking that everybody, you know, I could be sitting next to a murderer probably and I wouldn't even be able to kind of figure it out unless I had a gun in their hand yeah. because I would be going in thinking, well, she's a nice person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I would think, oh, how can I help you? Or what, yeah, exactly. what have you gone through? <laughs> right. And then when, then when they ask you to go by the gun is when you kind of say, oh, maybe like, something's uh, just not right here. Yeah. I do. When I do things, I put my heart all in. I'm all in or nothing at all. And sometimes it doesn't really work in my favor when or if a situation where you realize after you're very invested that this wasn't really the smartest idea. So I went to, I'm going to switch because I'm, I, you know, I look at the podcast as though we're having a phone conversation. So if I were having, we are having a phone conversation. If we were just talking between the two of us at this point, I would be like, okay, there are a couple things I want to know before we have to hang up. Okay. One of them is your new book that's coming out. Yeah. So tell me about that. Oh, tell us my, about that. My new book. I'm so excited. It's coming out in the spring of 2017. And this book is going to be unlike anything I've ever written about before. A lot more personal stories, a lot of things that I've never really talked about before. Uh, a lot of the times during the struggles I've had, the ups and downs, and what it's like to just be a young woman who's trying to figure life out. <laughs> as you go. Well, that's a tough one. Oh, that, yeah. That, that, that's a big one. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm excited because a lot of my first three books were geared more towards a preteen audience. And I feel like I've been growing with my readers in a way. And now I might have lots of new ones. But the thing that I'm very grateful for is that my story is able to relate to so many different people of all different ages. So I'm excited to be able to, I'm excited and scared, to be honest, to (laughs) talk about these things, but I'm ready. And what's next? Because I know that you always like having a next. (laughs) I do. I do. And it's funny because I've recently had a few different surgeries that have kept me in bed and at home. And it's been a few months now. So now I'm itching to get back on a plane, which I'm probably going to regret saying in the next few weeks or something. But um, I'm going to continue speaking and working on the new book. And I'm, I don't know, I might be trying something new. I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, Again, with my life, every week, something new is coming. And with this new sense of courage, who knows what's going to (laughs) happen. 
And then I have to ask one more thing, because you were talking about your friends earlier, and you sit around watching Netflix. What are you watching lately? Oh, what am I not watching? I've been addicted to everything. Making a Murderer has been one. I love one. that. Have, have you gotten to the end yet? Oh, yeah. I finished it in two days. Okay. It's all I did. It was did. great. It was great. Oh, yeah. Making a Murderer. What else? I feel like there's so many other things I've been binging. Nashville, uh, House of Cards. Uh, yeah, I'm not scandal. so crazy about House of Cards this year. Re- the the new the season. season this new season I right. know it was a little dark yeah it, it just didn't have the same energy it wasn't my favorite this season neither me either and I knew because I wasn't dying to watch every episode for a day so I spread it out but I have this weird thing where if I really really like the series and I know it's going to end or the season I won't watch the last episode because I don't want to say goodbye to my friends. <laughs> Right. That's cute. That's sweet. <laughs> and is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? That just anything you want to tell? Anything you want to say? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. Well, this has been just truly wonderful. The night we met, I, I will tell this story that, and you can correct me, but I'm sitting to the right of you. We're, we're sitting around a bar mm-hmm. and we're sitting like in a circle and I'm to the right of you and I'm talking to you, but you're really not paying attention to me. And I only find out about 10 minutes into the conversation that you're blind in your yeah. right eye and you really couldn't see me. And then I've heard you speak and say, that's where you put your annoying friends is to the right of you. So I, I'm not going to take that that way. I'm going to take it that I just happened to take that seat. Yes, yes that's how it was. And it was pretty dark in there. Right. I don't do really well in dim lighting, but yeah. That's so funny. It happens all the time. And even my friends whom I'm with, they'll forget. Even my brother and sister, who they by now should remember, but they don't. And there's many times where my sister will be handing me something or someone will be handing me something on my blind side and they just hold it there. And I have no clue until they realize that they need to take it to the other side and then I'll realize what they're doing. That is so funny. And when before we met, I really wanted to do the podcast with you because I was so inspired by your stories and watching your TED Talk and watching your watching A Brave Heart, your documentary. And so I just, I mean, I knew that I wanted to be able to know you and I, I want to be your friend and I want to help you. And, and it's definitely a two-way street here. But after meeting you, it, it, it didn't take long. It just, it, and I'm not just saying this, Lizzie, it just took a matter of seconds. Your whole spirit and your energy is just phenomenal. And to want to be you, for young women to get to see you, women of all ages, men as well, to be able to see you in person, to watch your TED Talk, to watch your documentary, you really can change lives and you are changing lives and you're changing bullying and being an activist for bullying. But even bigger than that, you're changing people's lives and you've changed my life in just the short period of time I've known you. And I just can't wait to continue our rela- to continue on. And hopefully I'll be able to bring you the same benefits you're bringing me. Well, thank you so much. That really, really means a lot to me. So thank, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't tell you how much that means to me and that together we're able to share your story and that other people can know the Lizzie story and be inspired by you like I am. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Thank you. Lizzie's life is just filled. It's overflowing with mentoring moments. It made me think about years ago, my therapist told me that it was her job to help me find my tools for my toolbox for living so that when things happen, good or bad, I can reach in and pull out the best tool. 
Today, Lizzie added a tool to that box, the flashlight. Because as Lizzie said, sometimes we all need someone to turn on a flashlight for us. And sometimes we need to be there to turn it on for others, just like Lizzie does every single day. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts today about today's show, so please rate and review. And to get the next show delivered to you the moment it's live on iTunes, please subscribe. You can find today's show notes at Forbes.com slash mentoring moments. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com slash podcasts. Thank you.